I thought it'd be fun to start out with a joke today. My, uh, my daughter, Maria, she's 11, she came up to me a couple days ago and she's like, Dad, it'd be really fun if you could tell a joke to, you know, in your sermon at some point. And uh, I thought about it for a second. I didn't have a joke prepared because last time I talked about having a joke, I mentioned it to my wife and I said, hey, you know, honey, I think I might start off with a joke. And she looked at me and she's like, don't try and be funny, just be yourself. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> but the good, the good thing, well, it's not a good thing, but my wife is on vacation right now in Texas, and so I'm going to tell a joke. I'm going to go with my daughter's recommendation, and I just want to ask if, uh, if the joke totally bombs, don't text my wife or tell her your husband just told a really bad joke. Um, let's just keep that our, our secret for now. Um, and I probably shouldn't build up the joke because it's not that great of a joke. It's, if you've heard the story about Noah in the Bible, the, there's the flood, and Noah and his family, they get on the ark with you know, all the animals and, and the flood comes and they're on the ark for quite a while. And so they had to come up with different ideas of things that they could do to pass the time. That's not in the Bible, but I'm just assuming. And anyway, um, what we, we don't know what they did to pass the time. What we do know is there's one thing they definitely did not do to pass the time. And um, that's playing cards. They didn't play cards, they didn't play poker, they didn't play any card games. And the reason we know this is because the Bible says that Noah was standing on the deck. You know, like a deck of cards? Okay. All right, so we're, we're, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series called How to Neighbor, and, and uh, we've been working our way through the book of Luke, and uh, a common theme that we've seen in the book of Luke is Jesus' love for us. And if we take a step back even and look at the New Testament as a whole, um, a common theme that we tend to see is that Jesus left his heavenly home, and he came and he lived among us. And uh, John 1.14, in fact, says, and this is from the message translation, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. And I love, I love that version because uh, just this image of Jesus moving into our neighborhood. And so we're kicking off this sermon series called How to Neighbor. And we're going to be looking in the coming weeks at things like um, how to treat our neighbors with love and not legalism how to be a blessing to our neighborhoods, and even uh, the concept of, of firm foundations and what that means. Um, if you heard me speak before, you, you might remember I've told some stories about my time as a student at Crown College. It's a, a small Christian college west of the Twin Cities, and I did my, uh, my undergraduate graduate work there. In my last two years at Crown as a student, my wife and I lived up in the married student housing. It's kind of like townhomes, and there might be a picture uh, that we can show up there. I actually have a picture of the, the unit on the left side there. That's where we lived. And I remember there was this one day that uh, it was in the summertime and Christina and I were, my wife and I were in our living room and we happened to spot out the front window that there's a group of guys and girls. They looked like they're probably our age. And they were going door to door and we could see they had like papers in their hands and they'd, they'd go up and they'd knock on a door. There's maybe like 10 or 15 of them. They'd go up to the door, they'd knock, We'd see, you know, one of our friends answer the door. They'd hand them some papers and uh, talk for like 30 seconds and then they'd shut the door. And they were going door to door, working their way around. And we could tell that they weren't from Crown for a few reasons, but one of the reasons was the way that they were dressed. Um, the girls, they, they just weren't dressed like typical Crown students. Like the girls were wearing these um, denim jumpers. The guys were wearing like black, they all had black dress pants, white dress shirts with black ties. Um, their hair was like perfectly combed over, it was like shiny, they, they, they were clean shaven, you don't see that much on most college campuses, and so we're like, who are these people? And, and uh, it was, you know, around this moment as we're kind of like 
checking them out through the window, that it dawns on us that eventually they're going to be coming to our door. And also at this moment, me being the good husband that I am, I remembered that um, we had some dishes that needed to be washed. And so I go back in the kitchen, <laughs> and I start running the water and start washing the dishes. And I can hear Christina in the living room. She's saying something to the effect of, get out here, but I couldn't quite hear. You know, I'm like, sorry, I can't hear you over the dishes. And, and uh, the doorbell rings, and she answers the door. And, and they only spoke for maybe 15 seconds. And uh, I come out. It took like 20 seconds to wash the dishes. So I come back out, and um, she's just standing there. And I, I'm like, what do they say? And, and she doesn't say anything. And she kind of looks at me. And at first I thought, for some reason, she was upset at me. But... Um, I'm like, what do they say? And I, I come over to her, and she's not saying anything. And I'm like, Christina, what do they say? And she's like, she's just standing there. And she's like, well, they, they said that we're going to go to hell. And I'm like, we're going to go to hell? Why, why would they say that? Like, that's not something normally people say to me. You know, I, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was four years old. Um, you know, we were at this moment on a Christian college campus. I'm like, didn't these people know, like, this is a Christian college? Um, didn't they see the Bible on our end table when they opened up the door when they were talking to my wife? Didn't they see the, you know, the Kirk Cameron poster up on the wall? Like, it's obvious we're Christians. And, and she's like, well, look at this. And so she, she has this, this pamphlet, and she's like, look at this. And I come over and I look at it. And the first thing I notice is on the bottom of the pamphlet, it says the name of another college. And this college, they don't even exist anymore, but they're another college in Minnesota and right away, as soon as I saw that name, I, I had friends that had transferred to Crown from that college, and they had told me all these stories about all the rules they had, and just, they, they said it was tough. And, uh, and so then I noticed there's, there's like bullet points, and in big bold letters it says things like, Crown College students are going to hell because, you know, girls wear blue jeans, and because guys have sideburns, um, guys have mullet, or not mullets, but like long hair in the back. You know, it had all the, this big list of rules said you can't have a mustache or a goatee. And we didn't know what to say. We're just, we're reading through this list, and I remember thinking to myself, like, this is kind of legalistic to say that I'm, I'm going to go to hell because I have sideburns. You know, and today we're going to be talking about legalism, and I thought it might be good to start out with a definition of legalism. So the definition of legalism is strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code. And you might notice in there, too, it has the word religious. And I, I looked up the definition of religious, and it says, of relating to or devoted to religious beliefs or observances. And so, devotion to religious beliefs coupled with legalism, that can be, that can be a problem. And, it, and I don't mean to sound dramatic, but a threat, I'd say, facing our, our families and our communities and our churches today can be legalism. And today we're going to look at, at a story in Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at a story with Jesus and with the Pharisees, and we're going to see that the battlefield is the Sabbath, but the issue that we're going to see is legalism. So I'd like to address both before we get into the story today. It's going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, if you want to pull out your smartphones or get your Bibles out and get ready. Um, but we're, what we're going to see, though, is legalism is the enemy of Jesus Christ, and legalism is religion. And legalism, it's, what it is, is it's, it's living out uh, devotion to rules and not to God and people. Because religion, religion cares about rules, but Jesus cares about people. And so today, we're going we're gonna to meet some religious legalists who show up to battle with Jesus. And again, we're going to see that the 
issue is legalism, but the battlefield is the Sabbath. So let's take a look at the Sabbath. Let's, let's just start out with the Sabbath. The Sabbath, in Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, um, For six days God worked, and on the seventh day he rested. And in the Ten Commandments, God says, I worked six days, and I rested on the seventh. You work six days, and take the seventh day off. And so, let me just say this. Like, the Sabbath, it's a gift. It's a gift to be enjoyed. It's a good thing. God intended for it to be a good thing. But what happened is, um, the religious legalists, they came along, and they decided that they were going to add a bunch of rules um, to the Sabbath, um, to the point that it's, it wasn't even fun anymore. And... When I, when I think of this, it's sort of like what I'd call birthday cake rules, okay? With a birthday cake, you don't need rules to eat a birthday cake. All you need is a birthday cake and your mouth and a fork. Or um, in my case, I like ice cream with cake, so I use a spoon because you can, like, you know, you can scoop the ice cream and then with the same spoon, scoop the cake. It's easy. Um, that's what I do. I'm curious how many here like spoons for your cake? Show of hands. Some of you, Okay. How many like forks? All right. Okay, so it's like, it's like birthday cake rules. And if you want to ruin a kid's birthday, the way that you can do that is walk up to a kid and say, happy birthday, here's your cake, here's your vanilla cake. Um, I know you wanted a chocolate cake, but I'm, I'm legalistic, so I'm giving you a vanilla cake. And you might notice there's no sprinkles on the cake, and that's for a reason, because sprinkles, they fall off the cake, and they, you know, they, they get in the carpet, and you step on them, and they crunch, and they get messy, or they get stuck in your teeth, and then you got to, you know, take a, a toothpick and get it out, and that's just kind of gross, or whatever. So there's no sprinkles. Also, there's no frosting, because frosting is just bad. It's full of sugar, and you really shouldn't have frosting. Um, oh, and by the way, too, no candles. I know you want to blow out the candles, but... I've seen way too many episodes of America's Funniest Home Videos to know that when you lean over to blow out the candles, your hair is going to ignite. You know, something bad is going to happen. Or you might poke out your eyes with the candles, or you might singe your eyebrows. Um, so no candles either. So here's your plain vanilla cake with no candles, frosting, or sprinkles. That's, that's how you ruin a birthday cake. And at that point for the kid, eating cake becomes something more of a chore, something that they have to do, not something that they get to do. And so with the Sabbath, they do the exact same thing. God says, he says, hey, here's something good. Take a day off. And the legalists of the day, you know, they, they come along and they create all these rules and they say, you guys are going to need to memorize these rules and remember these rules and if you forget one of these rules or if you break one of these rules, you know, you're going to be punished. And that's what they do. And, you know, the whole point is it's supposed to be a day off, but instead it, it becomes work. And I want to I stop right here because my point today is, uh, I was a little nervous to preach a sermon today because my point today, I don't want to make people feel like they're being attacked. If someone in here struggles with legalism, I don't want them to feel like today I'm harping on religious people or legalistic people because I'll be the first to tell you I struggle with legalism and I struggle with um, being religious and I think a lot of us do. And so my hope today is just that we can see that, you know, Jesus didn't come here, he didn't come here to establish a bunch of rules. Okay, Jesus didn't come to um, create a new religion. Um, my hope is that today we can see why, you know, why we should be quick to embrace following Jesus and not religion. That's my hope for today. And so the first thing that we're going to see today, if you want to pull out your note sheets, um, the first thing that we're going to see, we're going to see a number of things, but the first thing that we're going to see is that religion can make you arrogant. Religion can make you arrogant. 
In Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So, So here's what's happening. So we have Jesus, and we have Jesus' disciples. And they're walking through the grain fields on a Sabbath day, and they're walking along, and there's a a provision in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament law, and it says that if you're walking through someone's field and if you're hungry, it's okay to take a little bit of their crop as long as you don't go in there like with a, a winnowing fork, as long as you don't go in there you know, uh, and just harvest all their crops and steal them blind, it's okay. It's a, it's a generosity provision is what it's called. And that was from Old Testament law. And so Jesus... He's walking through the grain fields with his disciples and suddenly they decide they're, they're hungry and so they pluck just a little bit of grain. And then they start rubbing the grain between their hands. That's all they're doing. And that means that they're preparing a meal. Okay? And the religious people, they don't like that because um, one of their laws, one of their rules, this isn't a biblical rule, it's a man-made rule. It says that you can't prepare a meal on the Sabbath. And so... The Pharisees at this point, they realize that Jesus and his disciples, they just broke four rules by taking that head of grain and by rubbing it between their hands. They broke four rules. First of all, they're reaping. Number two, they're threshing. Number three, they're winnowing. And number four, they're preparing food. So they're breaking four rules here. And the religious people, they come up to Jesus and here's my first question. Where? Where are they right now? Where are they standing? They're, they're in the grain field. Okay, so the, the Pharisees, apparently they think that it's okay to run around through the grain fields chasing Jesus, trying to catch him doing something wrong, breaking a rule. They think that it's, it's worse to do that on the Sabbath than it is to simply pluck a head of grain and make a little bit of a meal. And so they're, they're following Jesus around and they say, they say, why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And I think... I think that's arrogant because I think that when you walk up to Jesus and you assume that if you have a disagreement with Jesus that you're right and he's wrong, I think that has some, some arrogance with it. And I, I can picture Jesus at this moment um, looking at them and thinking, like, I created, this is Jesus speaking, you know, thinking I created the heavens and the earth. I created the scribe who created these man-made rules that you added on to the Holy Scriptures. You know, I don't, I don't really care about your man-made rules because I created the scribe who created the man-made rules. You know, I I just picture Jesus thinking that. If we look at verse 3, it says, And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, and he took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, Also, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus does something here, in, if, we ever, if we have any philosophy majors in here, you might recall, it's, he does something that's called a reductio ad absurdum, and I probably butcher that, but what it says, it says, assume that the argument, that the position of, of your opponent is correct, and take their argument and carry it out to its logical conclusion, showing how ridiculous their argument is. And that's what Jesus does, and he says, he says you might recall the story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, and what we see here is we see um, King Saul in this story. We see King Saul. And we see David, who's set to be successor to the throne. And King Saul, if you know the story of King Saul, he starts out pretty good, but then he just kind of goes crazy. 
And so he's chucking spears at David. He's trying to kill David. And David and his, his soldiers, his, his mighty men, warrior comrades, they, they get scared and they're like, okay, Saul's going to kill us. And by the way, it's the Sabbath. Don't forget this part, okay? It's the Sabbath. And so they go, they go running and, and they're running as fast as they can through the fields and I'm sure someone in their day saw them running and was probably like, it's the Sabbath, you guys shouldn't be running. And they're probably like, we don't care, Saul's going to kill us. And they run and run and run like, you know, like Forrest Gump and they get all the way to the, all the, way to the temple, to the tabernacle and they go inside and when they get inside, they see the priest and they're like, Mr. Priest, can you please help us? We're, we're hungry, we're tired, we're, we're thirsty, help us out. Do you have anything that we can eat? And the priest, the priest says to them, he says, I'm sorry, all that we have is the bread of the presence. And the bread of the presence, it, it was 12 loaves of bread. Every Sabbath, every Saturday, they would bake these 12 loaves of bread and they would put them up on the altar and the, the, the bread would stay there all week. And it was a reminder to the people of Israel that God provided, that he would provide and, and, and for their provision. And so, um, at the end of the week, the priest would take the bread down and the priest could eat the bread, uh, but no one else could. And the priest could eat it because the priest was holy. Okay, so the priest says, all we have is this bread. That's all, all we've got. And I imagine at this point, just trying to picture David and his men, you know, they're hungry and they're probably standing there and they can see the bread and they can smell the bread. And I'm sure the bread smelled really good. Um, a lot of the best bread in the world comes from that very region in the, in the Middle East. Yeast? Dough? Yeast? Bread? Never mind. But I'm sure they could smell the bread and they're like, oh, we would love to have this bread. And then the priest does something that I think is, is interesting and he says, are, are you guys, are you holy men of God? Or, you know, are your soldiers, do they run around with women? Do they get their hands dirty? Are they unholy? And David, he looks at the priest and he says, no. He says, my men, they're, they're holy. They're, they're good men. They're not like the other soldiers running around with the women. They're not sinful. They're not godless. They're not unclean. We're, we're serving the Lord. We're just hungry. And so the priest takes the bread of the presence off the altar and he gives it to David and his men and they eat the bread and they're filled and they have a great feast. And so my question here is, um, did they sin in eating the bread? Did David and his men sin in, in eating the bread? No. Did the priest sin in giving them the bread, the holy bread? He, he didn't sin either. The, the answer to that is no as well. And so Jesus, now going back to Jesus in the grain field with the, with the Pharisees, Jesus looks at them and he says, says, you know what, I'm greater than David and my men are greater than David's men and it was okay for David and his men to eat the holy bread of the presence on the Sabbath. So surely it's okay for us to pick some heads of grain and rub it in our hands and make a meal. You know, that, that should be okay. You know, it, I'm sure Jesus was thinking we, we abide by Sabbath laws, we love God, but God loves mercy and he cares for people. So it's okay. And there was... I came across online, I was doing a Google search, and I found this painting, a beautiful painting, of this very scene with Jesus and the disciples in the grain field. And I wanted to show it, but with the resolution, when I put it up on the screen, it's too grainy. It's just way too grainy. So I didn't show it. But, no, but, okay, but in all seriousness, here's what, here's what legalistic people do, though. The Pharisees, what they've done all of a sudden is they've put themselves in position of judge. And Jesus, if he's not careful here, could very easily suddenly find himself trying to like appeal to the Pharisees 
instead of appealing to God, like trying to win the Pharisees' favor instead of trying to win God's favor. And if we're not careful, you know, if we're religious, if we're legalistic, what can happen is we can find ourselves, you know, in the position of judge. And we can very easily put other people on the defensive where they're trying to please us and they're trying to win, you know, our approval instead of God's. And that's, that's a position that I don't ever want to put myself in. But the Pharisees, they, they've assumed God's position. And, and Jesus doesn't tolerate that. He, he's not okay with that. And Jesus, he doesn't appeal here to their authority. And he doesn't try and win their approval. But instead what he does is he invites them to acknowledge him as God became man and Lord of the Sabbath, as well as Lord of the other six days of the week. Jesus actually right here, he does something. He says, um, he says I'm the son of man. And that's, that's from Daniel chapter 7. That's a messianic title talking about Jesus being with God from eternity past. And now he's come into human history as, as the ruler, as the king, as the God-man. This is a term that the Pharisees would have recognized right away when Jesus says, I'm the son of man. So that's what he does because Jesus doesn't care about rules. Jesus cares about people. Religion cares about rules. And so that's what's going on there. And, and so additionally what we see is that Religion can also make you unloving. Legalism can make you unloving. Let's look to verse 6. It says, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, or at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand, and he did so. And his hand was restored. And so here's what happened. Again, the Bible said no working on the Sabbath, which was a good thing. But then the legalists, the religious people, they came along and they added you know, a bunch of rules. And one of those rules was that you couldn't have any medical care done on the Sabbath unless it was emergency medical care. So, for example, it said if you're giving birth, you could receive care. If um, you're on your chariot and you hit a bump in the road and fly off your chariot, break your, your collarbone, um, you could receive medical care because that was an emergency. And so the Pharisees, they see this man with the withered hand walk in and they don't consider that to be something that would require emergency medical care. And so Dr. Luke the physician. He doesn't tell us if the man was born this way. He doesn't say whether the guy got this, the hand the way it is from an accident. He doesn't say that. But what we do know from the text is that this guy wants to be healed. And he's thinking this might not be emergency medical care, but today is as good of a day as any to be healed. Jesus can heal me right now. I want him to heal me. You know, so Jesus, can you heal me? And Jesus right here, he has a decision though. He knows it's the Sabbath and he knows it's not emergency medical care and he knows if he heals this guy that he's probably going to get some backlash. And so he has to make a decision here. Jesus has to decide, am I going to heal the man and be criticized or am I going to worry about what people think about me and am I gonna, can I back out, can I talk to the guy you know, quietly and say, hey, let's come back tomorrow when no one's around. I'll, I'll heal you privately. You know, we won't make, make a big deal of it. We won't break any of these man-made rules. Well, if, if you know Jesus very well, you know that that's not how Jesus usually operated. And I picture Jesus stepping forward, like with this Clint Eastwood stare in his eyes, and he stares down the Pharisees. 
And he steps forth, you know, boldly, like, don't you love Jesus? That's just how I picture him. And he tells the guy with the withered hand, he says, stand up and come here and stretch out your hand. And this is an act of faith. He says, if you think that I can heal you, stretch out your hand. And so the guy stretches out his hand. He goes like this. And he heals him. And the religious people at this moment are pretty upset because Jesus didn't care about their rules. He just broke one of their man-made rules. Because religion, again, religion cares about rules, but Jesus cares about people. And it's religion. And the truth is, was, was this a lot of work? Was it a lot of work for the guy to go like this, to lift his hand up? Was it a lot of work? I don't think it was. Was it a lot of work for Jesus to heal him? No, I think, again, I think it was more work for the Pharisees to chase Jesus around and follow him into the temple and give him a hard time and try and stop him from healing someone than it was for Jesus to simply heal this guy or for the guy to raise his hand. Because religion cares about rules, but Jesus cares about people. And then, So what we see is that religion makes you arrogant and it can make you unloving. And lastly, there's a big problem. Religion can also make you dangerous. In uh, verse 11 it says, but they, talking about the Pharisees here, it says, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so, so Jesus breaks their rules. Again, these are not biblical rules. These are man-made rules that they added on. Jesus breaks their rules. The Pharisees, they challenge Jesus. They challenge Jesus publicly. Jesus doesn't back down. He's like, all right, you know, let's do this. And he comes at him and he, he doesn't follow their rules. He heals the man. And apparently for the Pharisees, if you didn't catch that, they're actually plotting to kill Jesus. And apparently it's okay for the Pharisees to plot someone's murder on the Sabbath, but it's not okay to heal someone on the Sabbath, which I think is really interesting. So, so when, it, when it comes to legalism, when it comes to religion, um, you know, these are some biblical examples we've looked at, some stories about Jesus and the Pharisees. When it comes to us today, you know, when, when we're just sitting here thinking, do we struggle with legalism? Um, I want to give some examples. Some of these are things that I struggle with. First off, do you ever feel like you, you struggle with having a big checklist in your head, a big mental checklist where, you know, you have to do A, B, C, D all the way through Z, you know. I, I can do my ABCs. Um, that you have to go through this big checklist in order to win God's favor. And if you don't do it, God's not going to love you. That's something I've struggled with at times. And that can stem from legalism. And that can stem from religion. Or do you notice that you tend to have a, a critical, unloving spirit towards other people? Because that can be legalism. That's another thing I've struggled with, you know, at different points. That can come from religion. Or, or do you tend to hold to old traditions? I... Uh, I didn't need my Bible up here today, but I brought it up because this is a Bible I received as a, as a child. I got it when I was in grade school, and I love this Bible. And as I was growing up, when smartphones came out, I remember uh, sitting in church sometimes, and I'd have my Bible, and I'd be following along in this Bible, and I'd see someone with their phone out, and some of them could have been on Facebook, but I'm sure a lot of them were on their Bible apps. And I would look at them and I'd honestly think they're not as good of a Christian as I am. You know, I have a real Bible. They just have their phones. Like, they need to get with it. And that's, that's religion. That's legalism. Like, there's nothing wrong with reading the scripture on your phones. There's no rule in the Bible that says 
Now, there weren't cell phones in Bible times, but still, there's no rule that says that you can't do that. That, that can be religion. And so, you know, that's just a few examples. I could give a lot more examples, but um, if we're real honest with ourselves, my guess is that most of us in some sort of way probably struggle somehow with legalism. And so, if, if you do struggle with legalism or do struggle with religion, I, I have a few suggestions, take it or leave it. Uh, the first suggestion I'd give on what we can do to get rid of that legalistic attitude or to get rid of the religious attitude is to repent. The first thing is we need to repent. And when I say repent, all I'm talking about here is just praying to God and saying, God, I, I, I can see that Jesus, he spoke out against the Pharisees, he spoke out against religion, he spoke out against legalism. I don't want to be that way, God. I don't want to go through life <clears throat> with a mental checklist and feel like I always have to be crossing these things off in order to win your love. I'm tired of living that way, God. It's exhausting. God, I'm tired of looking at other people and looking down my nose at them, feeling like I'm so much better than they are, or just being critical. I don't like how that makes me feel. So God, help me you know, not be that way anymore. Pray to God. Repent. The second thing I'd suggest is that you invite the Holy Spirit to change you. Because the Holy Spirit, he's... He's here to help us and to guide us and to teach us and to empower us. And so when you're praying to God, just say, Holy Spirit, help me. You know, I know this is tough. I need your help. Help me out here. And the third thing that we can do, because this is a bit of a process, is I'd recommend getting um, an accountability partner. We should find an accountability partner. And if I've had some people ask me, what's an accountability partner? And really, it's just someone you trust. It can usually a good friend. And you say to them, this is something, you know, in this case, legalism is something I struggle with. So can you check in with me, you know, once every couple weeks? Can you give me a phone call? It doesn't have to be long. It can be for five minutes. Can you check in with me and, and say, you know, how's this been going? You know, your, your partner can call you and say, you told me you're struggling with this mental checklist. You know, you don't want to always feel like you're trying to earn God's love. How's that been this last week? Or... You know, yeah, we talked about the fact that you struggle with having a critical spirit towards other people. So this past week, have you had a critical spirit? Have you caught yourself having thoughts, critical thoughts towards other people? And what that does, I don't know how many people in here have had accountability partners, but I've had them, and what it does, I can tell you, is that when you know that you're going to have to answer to a friend, and they're going to check in with you and say, how's this been going? When you start to struggle with that area that you've talked about, you tend to catch yourself and you think, okay, I'm not going to do this because I want to be able to tell my friend this came up and you know what? I, I didn't mess up here. And just having someone to check in with you can make all the difference. And so um, I'd like to invite the band um, to, to start making their way up. So yeah, so the three things that we can do, we can repent, we can invite the Holy Spirit to change us and find an accountability partner. And uh, I'd like to take a, uh, just a minute now to pray to pray for us. I was going to ask, just thinking right now, I was going to ask everyone to close your eyes, but maybe that's legalistic too, I don't know. So keep your eyes open if you want to. But, but let's pray.